we really surely have been blessed, haven't we? My goodness, we have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good morning to you all, and morning to you that are joining us online. Uh, just thank you for joining us this morning. Wherever you are in the world, we want you to know that you're very much a part of this church body. So thank you for joining us, and thank you all for uh, getting in your cars and coming here this morning. So we're in this series called Bless. And we're talking specifically about uh, servanthood. What does it look like to bless people as servants? Now, to get started here, um, have you ever been in a place where you've been, you ever daydream? Has anybody ever daydream about maybe being like great at something? Right? Like maybe you daydreamed about being a super duper musician uh, that drew crowds of people at your performance. Have you ever kind of dreamed about that? Or maybe you dreamed about um, uh, being in the Olympics and stepping on that platform and having somebody put a gold medal around your neck. Wouldn't that be cool? Or maybe you dreamt about being a great author and you authored something that ended up on the New York bestseller list. Or maybe you dreamed about uh, being able to throw a pass like Tom Brady, right? <laughs> and have a bunch of uh, um, Super Bowl rings on your finger. Hey, you know, it's not bad to dream, right? It's not bad to dream about doing something really great. And um, quite frankly, in the world, we think about greatness as somebody who has a, a high position, uh, somebody who has a lot of power, maybe a lot of wealth, or have accomplished something incredible, we think, well, that is greatness. Well, one day, um, a couple of Jesus' disciples, the sons of Zebedee, John and James, uh, came to Jesus with a request. And I kind of think their mom kind of put them up to this request because, you know, moms want their kids to be great, right? At any rate, they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus a question. They asked him if when he comes into his glory, if they could one be on his right hand and one on his left hand. In other words, to be in a position uh, of power, whatever. And so Jesus says, first of all, y'all don't know what you're asking. <laughs> because Jesus answers them this way. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for all. So Jesus really turns it upside down and redefines what greatness really is. Greatness isn't running to the top and getting to the top, but it's about going down and being a servant. That uh, being greatness isn't about getting something, but it's about actually giving something. It's not about living for yourself, but it's really about living in a way that benefits other people. In fact, Jesus said, if you really want joy, lose your life. That sounds weird, doesn't it? You want to find life, then lose yours. Wow, that's really, really strange. So we're talking about servanthood. We're talking about the greatest model of servanthood of all, and that would be Jesus Christ. And as I know, as I looked at this passage this week and the last couple of weeks thinking about servanthood, I kind of realized, man, 
I kind of organize my life around maximizing my comfort, minimizing my pain, right? And that there's so much room for growth within my life and I'm sure within your life to, to think about others more than we think of ourselves. You know, us teachers, I talked to John Cortinas uh, a few weeks ago before he preached and we're always kind of running to catch up with what we're saying. You know, the Bible even says that teachers, um, we stumble all the time. So we're with you in this. We're, we're all trying to grow to be more like Jesus because we don't have it together. And so we want to look at a profile of a servant. And we want to look at Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you if you would stand. We're going to read the text together and dive right in. Reading from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. Read with me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning um, recognizing the incredible servanthood that you displayed. And most importantly, the sacrifice you made on our behalf or we wouldn't be here. That you gave your entire life for us. But Lord, here we are as your, your body, your, your people, and with the desire to be like you. So I pray that as we look at your word and as we hear your word speak to us, that you would change us, you would transform us. You would move us from being self-centered to other-centered. So we'd rely on your spirit right now to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So we're going to be looking at four things about the profile of a servant. We're going to look at the posture of a servant, the mindset of a servant, the cost of being a servant, and the reward of servanthood. The first thing we want to look at is the posture of a servant. In this text, in verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then down in verse 8, And he, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the posture of a servanthood is that one of humility. The Bible speaks about humility, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, 5, chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then in Micah, this is a well-known verse, Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, the biggest challenge that we face in being a humble servant is what? Our own pride, right? C.S. Lewis said, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. Dietrich von Hildebrand said, pride is the deepest root of the malignancy within ourselves. And when you think of it, pride is what caused the fall. It caused Satan to fall. If you read in Isaiah 14, uh, Satan is saying, I will, I will, I will, I will exalt myself above God. And then he sold that to Adam and Eve, right? Hey, if you eat of this fruit, you will be as gods. So really our pride is this determination to be completely independent, not needing anybody, not needing God, not needing anybody else. Pride is a commitment to self-sufficiency that I really don't need anybody uh, else in my life. I've got this. It's kind of like this picture uh, of humility. <laughs> See that turtle? Yeah, that's a good picture of humility because you know that turtle did not get up there on his own, right? He had help. Guess what? He's not going to get down by himself either. He needed somebody. He was dependent. And so kind of the first step in humility is recognizing that we need others. We need God first and foremost, and we need others. In uh, another time in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, again, this thing about greatness was really on the minds of the disciples. I mean, they wanted, they wanted a position. They wanted to, you know, they faithfully followed Jesus, so they wanted to, you know, to be great. And so Jesus, when they come to him again, talking about, you know, who's the greatest, um, Jesus says, hold on a second, bring that little boy over here. He takes a little kid and puts this child in front of them. And here's what he says. Unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Little kids, they're dependent. They need mom and dad. Uh, they, need, they need food. They need clothing. They need all these things. They're, they're dependent. There's a certain humility in children. Now, when it comes to Jesus... It says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, becoming a likeness of men. So here is Jesus. We know from scripture that Jesus was a man, but he never stopped, never ceased to be deity to be God. He was the God-man. Now here's the deal. As God, Jesus as a man who had all the power and prerogative to do whatever he wanted to do, chose to become a man with limitations. He had to walk places. He just didn't just... Pew, pew. He walked places. He had needs. He was dependent on his, even his parents growing up. 
And so he had this power and prerogative, but he, he limited himself to it so that he could come here and be a servant and experience the same limitations we have. Hannah Anderson, in her book, Humble Roots, says it this way. Instead of believing that he had to fight to prove his worth, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead of trying to fulfill himself, Jesus emptied himself. Instead of working for his own comfort, Jesus took on the form of a servant. Instead of throwing off and ignoring human limitations, Jesus was born in the likeness of men. Instead of refusing to obey, insisting that he would not be told what to do, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death. And so while he had position and power, he he gave it up and he limited himself. He became a servant. One of the greatest demonstrations that he wanted to communicate to his disciples was just before his death as he gathered his disciples in this upper room. Um, And what we see happening there is him washing the feet of the disciples. And so, you know, it's customary that if you're hosting like a dinner party and having people that, uh, because in those days people walked around with open sandals on dusty roads, right? If you were hosting a get-together, you made sure that you had a servant or somebody wash the feet of your guests because they would dine at the table and it's not a table like a table that we sit at in chairs. They reclined, you know, so, you know, everybody's dirty feet would be in your face, right? So it was the custom that you would provide that kind of service for someone who came to the gathering. And so Jesus kind of, you know, pulls a fast one, surprises him, right? He takes off his robe, gets down on his knees, and he washes the dirty feet of his disciples, communicating to them, hey guys, this is what greatness is. So you see humility there, Jesus getting down rather than demanding, hey guys, this is my last dinner, so, you know, take care of me. No, he served right to the very end. The other thing about this is, is the disciples, right? Um, it takes some humility and some vulnerability to put your f- dirty feet into a basin, doesn't it? Right? To actually be, uh, let somebody do that for you and to be dependent on that. And so you even have a picture of humility with the disciples. Because Peter, remember Peter said, oh, no, no, not me. Not me, I'm not going there. You know, Jesus says, oh, yes, <laughs> you need to get your feet in the bowl, too. So, so humility has to do with getting down and also being vulnerable. What about the mindset? Okay, the mindset of a servant. So we talked about humility. Let's talk a little bit about, about the mindset. The mindset is found in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, we talk about being free in Christ, right? Well, what are we free to do? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. You know, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to this church at Philippi, um, what he wanted more than anything is, and, and as Hannah Joe said, is for them to be of one mind. In fact, earlier, earlier he says um, that, that they would be of one mind, that they would stand shoulder to shoulder serving side by side of the gospel. Now, to be of one mind requires us to be other-centered rather than self-centered. Uh, because when we're, when we're self-centered, what happens? We're not of one mind, and we, we're not side by side. We're actually fighting each other, right? When we want our own way. James said that. He said, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Isn't it your own desire? You don't get what you want. Now think about that for a second. Think about the last conflict you were in. The last fight you had with your spouse or your kids. Somebody wasn't getting their way, Right? Think about it. What do you want that you're not getting? Trace it. Boom. There's where the conflict starts. But what would it be like for us to, to be other-centered rather than self-centered? The Apostle Paul, again, is, is a beautiful example of following Christ in this way. He says in uh, the first chapter, he's kind of torn. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better, right? You think of Paul. Man, all that he had been through, my goodness, beat up, left for dead. I mean, people didn't like him. People left him. They, they just, they were hard on Paul. And for him to say, you know what? I'm done. I want to go see Jesus. To depart and be with him is far better. Look what he says. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and for your joy. So Paul really did follow that example. There's a, a mentor of mine through, through her writings. I did meet her one time. She's home with the Lord now. She died in her mid-90s, sweet lady by the name of Betty Skinner. And she talked about these three C's, these three C's. These three C's um, stand in the way or hinder our spiritual growth and development into the image of Jesus. Let me share those five C's and see if I, you identify with any of these. Uh, the C of competing. These are the C's of self-centeredness, competing, right? I gotta be better than the next guy, right? I gotta, I gotta kinda get ahead. Or comparing ourselves with other people. You ever do that? Like, oh, I, I wish I was like so-and-so, or, boy, I'm a lot better than that person, comparing ourselves. Or controlling, controlling, you know? And that is kinda, I use people to get what I want by the way I control them. 
or complaining. Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> I've never, we are in a culture of complaining, are we not? Everybody's complaining about something or someone. Karen and I were talking about this several weeks ago. We were both looking in scripture and we, the word in scripture is grumbling, right? We're always grumbling. So and so, you know, in the Old Testament, they were grumbling about the leadership, Moses and, and Aaron, right? And God took out a whole bunch of people with a plague because they were grumbling and complaining and then condemning, you know, putting people down because we condemn people to somehow make us feel better. What would it be like if we shifted from competing to actually caring for others? To move from uh, comparing to compassion for other people? Recognizing where they're at and where they're struggling. From controlling to actually cultivating people in our lives in a good way. So they do better. Or complaining. Let's replace complaining with complimenting. Boy, that's a game changer, right? Or from condemning others to recognizing we too have wronged other people. And what would it be like for us, as scripture says, to confess our faults one to another? Wow, what a game changer. And I, you know, I, I challenge us as, as individuals and as a corporate body uh, of Christ here at Northland that we would, we would see this shift in our lives as a body and as individuals to become other-centered um, rather than self-centered. So, number three, the cost of servanthood. The cost of being a servant is one of sacrifice. Verse eight, in being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then Luke chapter 9, Jesus talks about the cost of being a disciple. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. Taking up a cross is a is a sacrifice. It's enduring something that's hard. And you know John 3.16, God so loved the world. You want to hear what 1 John 3.16 says? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Jesus made the greatest sacrifice of all time. I want you to picture something in your mind for a second. Picture the crucifixion. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Now, as we know from Scripture, there was a sign placed on top of his, over, just over his head. It was actually the charges against him. He claimed to be what? The king of the Jews. So he was charged with being a king. Now the truth of the matter is, the statement was true. Jesus was the king of the Jews. Not only the king of the Jews, but the king of all nations. He was the king of the, all creation. He is the sovereign God of the universe with all power, the highest position, 
from beginning to end, there is no beginning, no end with him. Jesus has this sign above his head. That is who he is. He was God in the flesh. Just below that sign, you see a 33-year-old man in excruciating pain, bleeding out just about every part of his body. He can barely breathe, barely breathe. He's just fighting to get air. And in his final words, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He had the power, he had the position to end this suffering, to make these people pay for what they're doing to him, but he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. You know, maybe for you and I, the hardest part or the greatest sacrifice that we might make in serving other people is to forgive people who have hurt us. That's hard work, isn't it? Right? You've been hurt before. Most people have. It's really hard to let that go, isn't it? You want them to pay. But one of the greatest acts of servanthood is to be able to forgive, to let it go. That's the hard work. So now, thinking about sacrifice, thinking about literally what is it like for us to kind of get out of our comfort zone. I like my comfort zone, don't you? Right? We, we work to protect it. But what would it be like for us to actually make some changes in our life to actually serve others that would require us getting out of that comfort zone? Maybe it's making a change in your schedule. You know, we all have a schedule, right? What if something comes up where someone's in need and you have an opportunity to change your schedule, your plan, to fit the need of someone else? Would it be like to give up a Saturday morning golf game or fishing trip to help somebody move across town and carry some heavy boxes? What would it be like to, instead of making that next purchase that you want to buy something, and that you took that money and you knew somebody that really was in dire straits financially and you were able to help them out? What would that be like, getting out of that comfort zone? What would it be like to actually sit down with somebody who really needs the talk, right? And you lend them, you sacrifice, you give them your ear and you give them your attention. That's a sacrifice. So many different ways, right, that we can serve. Maybe you know somebody that's going through chemo and they don't have a ride to chemo. And, and, and they normally they'll sit there all by themselves, but you went with them. You know, you dropped what you were doing and you, you gave them so many ways, so many ways that we can sacrifice. Because being a servant requires sacrifice. Well, what about the reward? The last thing we'll talk about is there's a reward for being servant. You say, oh no, who wants a reward? Well, hold on, hold on. There sure was for Jesus. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Absolutely. In this text, it says, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father for the joy that was set before him. The Bible does talk about rewards. There's quite a few parts of, of the New Testament that talks about rewards for faithful service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about this foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. We, we, we stand on a firm foundation based on the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. That, that, that foundation is going nowhere. It's solid. No matter what happens, no matter what we do, we are safe in Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice he made. But then Paul goes on to say, well, we build on that foundation, right? We live our life in such a way that is going to determine rewards later on. And he uses the analogy like we build our life with wood, hay, or stubble. That's self-centered living. Or gold, silver, and precious stone. And there will come a day when every one of us will have to give an account of how we lived out our days. Did we live out our days in self-centeredness, wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone? And the fire will and whatever's left, it says in that text, there will be a reward. If it's gold, silver, and precious stone, there is a reward for that, absolutely. We talk about crowns, right? There's a, a number of texts that talk about crowns in the Bible. The Apostle Paul talked about a crown, uh, the crown of rejoicing. He said to the Thessalonians, whom he had such a big part in their salvation, he said, what is my hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Isn't it you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Imagine Paul, we all get to heaven and all these people go, oh, if it wasn't for you proclaiming the gospel, we wouldn't be here. That's a crown. So there's these crowns. And we go, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to have a trophy case in heaven with our crowns? You know, I got more than you do. No, no, that's not what's going to be. We're going to cast our crowns before his feet. One theologian said that and speaks of, well, what does this really look like? And I, I like his comment, and I think it could be very true that the crowns that we have will be the capacity by which we will be able to worship and glorify God for all eternity. But folks, that happens between now and us going to heaven. So what are you building on our foundation, right? What are we building? Well, we have those crowns to cast at his feet and to glorify him in those ways. I love this church. I love this church called Northland. And I'll tell you something, there are some amazing servants that serve in this church. They're behind the scenes. Nobody notices much. But they make things happen. And they help this congregation grow. It's amazing. And I, I, I have to be careful to start names because there's so many and I wouldn't want to leave anybody out. But I am thinking of one. In fact, uh, he went home to be with Jesus just a few weeks ago. His name is Dudley Bell. Uh, Dudley Bell was a volunteer. He was retired, but he would volunteer his time. He was an electrician. And you would often see him around here on a ladder, pulling wires or replacing lights and things like that. 
And um, Dudley was a servant. In fact, in the last service, I ran to a couple who know him really well, and they said that Dudley started every single one of his days with a prayer. Lord, who can I help today? And I can tell you personally, I've been on the receiving end of his servanthood and been blessed by him. I think of um, my wife Karen's uncle, who is now, we're just waiting for the next phone call. He's 94. Um, he'll be going home to be with the Lord at any time. He was a doctor, a medical doctor. And when he retired from his practice, he volunteered in the prisons. He volunteered his time and took care of inmates in the prison. And then after that, he wanted to do missions. So he got a bunch of equipment and took it down to Guatemala and started a clinic and, and served the poorest of the poor. You know, when these gentlemen get into heaven, this is what they're going to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of your master. I wonder sometimes if you... You know, whatever service you do, whatever you do for others, if you've often wondered, you know, probably nobody sees this. Maybe you're a mom who's, you know, wiping snotty noses and cleaning up messes and getting kids ready for school and, and nobody's saying, good job, here's your crown. You know, nobody notices it. He does. What you do, do in secret, the father remembers. Whatever it is. Maybe you... Maybe you work in this little cubicle, you know, and you're behind a computer and you're crunching numbers and in some form or fashion, you're really helping a company grow or you're helping somebody get ahead. And you wonder, does anybody notice what I'm doing? What you do in secret, your father remembers. He remembers. Maybe you turn wrenches, right? You get dirty and greasy fixing cars or, or, or equipment that somehow helps somebody else get to where they're going or do the job that they're going to do. And you wonder, does, does anybody ever notice that I'm doing this? What you do in secret, the Father remembers. Maybe you're retired and you've got time on your hands, right? You go, yeah, I'm going to go volunteer and, and you know, help out somewhere. You wonder, does anybody notice that? Whatever you do in secret, your Father remembers. He does remember. When Paul concluded his talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, here's what he said to us. Therefore, be unmovable, steadfast in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. He remembers. I want to take a look at this last picture to close our time out. It's a picture of the towel and the basin, the sandals. And the first question I want to ask uh, you all here and those of you that are online, um, the first question is, have you ever put your feet into that bowl? What do I mean by that? Have you ever recognized that your feet are filthy dirty? <laughs> In other words, you got sin that needs to be washed off. Have you come to the place where the greatest servant of all gave his life for you 
and says, let me wash you clean. Let me forgive you. Do you know that your sins have been forgiven and that your eternity is set in place and that you have that foundation of Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven? If you don't know that, you can know that today, right now. Put your feet in the bowl. Humbly come to him and say, Jesus, I I have sinned and I need you to apply the sacrifice that you made for me to me. If you need help with that, please talk to somebody here or online. We'd love to talk to you about that very, very important decision. The second question I have is, as you see the bowl, you see the towel, and you see the sandals, is there somebody that comes to mind this morning, or maybe later on today, somebody that needs some help? We all need help, right, at some point or another? Is there someone that God would bring to your, maybe somebody you thinking about really could use a phone call. Maybe they lost a loved one months ago and nobody's calling anymore. It would be great to just give them a ring, say, hey, I was thinking about you today. Or maybe you need, know somebody that needs a ride somewhere. Whatever that is, the Holy Spirit will bring someone to your mind if you want to be that servant that Jesus is and then act on that. You know, one of my life verses has been 1 Samuel 12, 24. Only fear the Lord, serve him in truth, for consider how great things he has done for you. That's where it really is at. Thinking about the great sacrifice the greatest servant of all time has made for us. Wouldn't our response be, absolutely, Jesus, I want to serve you. And how do we serve Jesus? By serving one another. That's how this works. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there's no way that we can fully understand and grasp the incredible descent that you made on our behalf. I pray that that would become more and more real to us. And that by your spirit, you would help us to become more like you as we serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now to close with our service, we've got a great treat from some great servants called Rhythms of Grace. And they're going to come out and close our service. This is a special part of our church family. And uh, so we're going to ask them to come out to lead us in worship in our closing song.